0: It's sex and Sarah Rose. I'm Sarah Rose and really quick before we get into this episode, I know you may have found my podcast because you were looking for some interesting information about sex to listen to, but what you may not know is that I actually work with a lot of men to help them tap into their inner badass, have the sexual confidence that they've always desired to have, and to know once and for all that she isn't faking it. I have two distinct programs to help men. The first is for men who are ready to take the first step towards igniting their powerful sexual energy and getting better in bed. It's called sex stallion training and it's an online program for you to do on your own time in the privacy of your home without a partner. This is for men that are single in a relationship or dating people. The second is called Man on Fire, which is the only sex university just for men. This six month program is designed to help you become the ultimate sexual master. For six whole months, you train with me in live online sessions, and I will train you to be the best lover that she has ever had. So if you want the sex secrets that every woman wish you knew, and you wish that every woman had told you, this is where they are finally revealed check out more info at TantricActivation.com or just check out the show notes in the podcast app you're listening to this from now and there will be links there for you. Thanks and enjoy the show. It's Sex and Sarah Rose and I'm Sarah Rose here with Erin Hickok. Hey Erin. Hi Sarah Rose. So good to see you. You know, you're the perfect person to be having this conversation with today because I absolutely adore you so much. And we're going to be talking about women judging other women and going into the psychology of this, the biology around this, the social Mm -hmm. impact of it all. And I mean, Erin, you're just like, you're such a beacon of light, but you're such a strong woman, somebody that I admire and just absolutely adore. And so, I'm really grateful to have this conversation with you. Oh, thank
1: you, Sarah Rose.
0: I feel the same about you. I love
1: being surrounded by badass women, it is such a joy. And I'm really excited to have this conversation. Because I think that, um, I mean, it's been transformational for me in my life. And it continues uh, the more that I do my work in this area, the more um, women I'm able to be in connection with, the more badass women uh, that light up my life. So I'm stoked to talk about this with you today.
0: Absolutely. So I just wanted to share a story of you really quick, if you don't mind, (laughs)
1: Sure. Oh, I'm excited. I feel all excited.
0: (laughs) So one of my earliest memories of you, not my first memory, but one of my earliest memories of you is we were both at Ecstatic Dance um, when it was in that big uh, CrossFit gym. Remember? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was a Sunday morning. I don't even know how many years ago this was. Probably probably close to like six or seven years ago. And I just remember you being so in your authenticity and vulnerability and just so incredibly beautiful. And you were standing there and all these people just, you know, dancing, doing their thing, being so ecstatic. And you were crying and I don't know why you were crying, but you were just like really sobbing. Like it was just all coming out. And like, I remember going over to you and I think I went behind you and just like maybe put my hands on you, maybe gave you you a hug or something. I don't remember exactly what I did, but I still remember that moment of connecting with you like in the midst of... All the ecstasy going on, and it was just such a beautiful, beautiful memory that I have of us oh,
1: oh, that's so sweet wow i haven't you know, I haven't thought about that moment uh for quite a long time, um, yeah, and like being witnessed in that that's something that I really love about. Uh, ecstatic dance and and people who have permission for really full expression. I do remember that I was just feeling just a lot of grief. I was letting go of a lot of things in my life and and that was a place that I could go and I could just express it fully and release it from my body and what i also remember about that day is that i wasn't crying the whole time i was crying for a little while to like let it go and let it out and then what that gave space for was for um even more dance even more ecstasy and even more access to feeling a greater capacity of joy having released that
0: Yes, and you do such a great job at that. Like just really allowing yourself to be that in the moment, expressing. And, yeah, you've definitely been an inspiration to me in my journey. I remember at that point in my journey, I was just starting to unthaw from so much shutdown. um like I had, you know, been doing different spiritual practices for quite some time but like I still hadn't reached that full like cracked open part of my life yet Um, and going to ecstatic dance was really terrifying for me like I went and I did it and I like would just, you know, shake and move and do it. But like, I would leave and I just felt so much of that limbic residue come out afterwards. Like just the shame, the guilt, the, the just ickiness that, Um, I had stored inside of me that, um, that was resolving from the experiences of having, of going to dance. Um, But that's so often what happens when you have these moments of ecstasy, they're followed by the limbic residue that just feels so, ugh. And like, it was it was challenging for quite some time. Um yeah, grateful that I was able to move through that, but
1: oh wow, I'm so glad that you brought that up Sarah Rose. Actually, um ecstatic dance is where I actually learned how to use EFT or tapping. Uh, to help continue um, moving in that capacity Uh, because what's going on when that happens when we go to dance and we have that freedom to express anything that's been bottled up inside us it's basically like gotten in line to be released next so that's basically what's going on um, is that it's just there are things that are bottled up that are ready to go and ready to release so usually my practice after ecstatic dance is I do a lot more um, of connecting with people and like releasing a lot of oxytocin and making sure to play give myself some extra energy and then even doing some tapping um, some extra tapping to help Um, you know, help myself come down easy from that because it is a pretty big high to be in that space of ecstasy with all those people.
0: Oh, yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, I did. um, I haven't done tapping in quite a while, but it was during that time that I was, I did experience some tapping. I worked with Sonia Sophia, who does a lot of tapping with people. Um, So it was definitely effective.
1: Yeah, it's, um, it's actually, she was my teacher. It was at Ecstatic Dance that I learned, you know, interestingly, I, I had been sexually assaulted a week prior to that dance. And I was having a really difficult time processing it. And I was in the dance and I just, just had so much rage inside of me. And she pulled me to the side and showed me how to tap and how to shake and release these emotions. And I went from, you know, not sure that I even wanted to be on the planet anymore and filled with rage, like pure rage to dancing again and laughing again. And that really that single moment, like the amount of transformation that was possible in such a quick period of time, that's what put me on the path to devote a whole year of Um, doing EFT training and tapping for myself to clear stuff every day. And then the following year, um, devote myself to becoming a practitioner to help teach other people about it, because it's such a valuable skill being able to process these deeper traumas uh, when they come up and to be able to do it just with the power of our own hands, with our own breath
0: uh, in the moment. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, We should actually probably do a whole episode on EFT sometimes so we can let people know more about that in detail. Um, You know, but talking about trauma and how that ties in with women judging each other, um, like, talk, that's definitely very traumatic, you know, to be in a world where, where women have so much um, judgment towards each other. And as I was researching for this episode, I was really looking into like, why this happens? Like, why are women so hard on each other? The evolutionary biology behind it is actually really interesting. So Um, There's a psychologist, her name is uh, Benenson, Joyce Benenson, and she spent 30 years researching competition between the sexes. Uh, and she surprised everybody when she came out with her findings on this, and she concluded that evolution designed women to be the more competitive of the sexes, while men actually form more forgiving, cooperative groups. So (laughs) that is very different than a lot of what we here in society and what we're you know taught to think about men versus women and i'm sure there are probably other studies out there that might have some conflicting information around this but i did think that her research um was really interesting and what what came of her research is that there's this fearsome survival instinct in women um, that really is the catalyst for all of this. And of course, every single thing we do every moment of every day is ruled first by our instinct for survival. And then secondly, for our instinct for procreation. But this occurs in women literally right from the beginning because we have been in a world where female newborns were considered less valuable than males. And so that means like right from birth, girls have to work harder to stay alive. So, I mean, of course, in our current society, this has changed, not everywhere. There are still parts of the world where that hasn't changed. Um, but in order to, one of the ways that girls do this to, um, to stay, alive is they actually endear themselves to their caregiver. They smile more, they cry less. And this was really interesting. They actually learn to read adult emotions. So like from the beginning, girls are learning how to, how to read emotions, even like, you know, kind of (laughs) I want to say the word manipulate, even though that might come across wrong, but really it is like manipulate the situation so that way they can stay alive.
1: Yeah, I also want to point out that this isn't just from birth. It's been proven that we have ancestral DNA. It actually gets passed down from our ancestors, particularly survival techniques. And so this is something that's even programmed in us to be uh, in order for us to survive um, these kinds of, of techniques.
0: Hmm. Absolutely. We definitely carry this like generation to generation, to generation. So even if, you know, a girl is born in the US in 2021, you know, where maybe this isn't an issue, although there may be some families where it still is, but say she's, you know, born into a family where she's really, you know, accepted and valued and wanted as a girl, she can still have that in her DNA from previous generations. Um, and she still has that 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 feeling of like, I've got to survive.
1: Yeah, exactly. Intergenerational trauma. It's it's wild. And it's the good news is that we can't undo it. But it is just, it's just we're hardwired, like you said, to survive. And so this has been the way that it's been, if you think for centuries going back, about, you know, the level of competition between women uh, to get the best mate. Um you know, literally for survival, like there it's like
0: it's a built in it's a built in mechanism mhm, right, and then, so what happens is once a girl grows and the resources that her mother can offer her they dwindle, then what happens is her competitive focus shifts to men in order to secure her own survival and that of her offspring. So like this is literally what is driving women, this competitive focus to get the best man that can um, secure her own survival, the survival of her offspring. So, you know, we're literally looking at this from a, the aspect of life and death. And when you look at it from that perspective, it kind of makes the cattiness of middle school, um, makes some, makes more sense.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. There's some ancestral trauma that's playing out in the hallways, you know, of, they need to be the best. I mean, you think about endearing themselves to the teachers, right? There's people playing that game and there's people, you know, fighting over which guy and, and, you know, kind of mean girl style, you know, saying mean things, uh, to bring other people down, to bring up our own
0: social standing. I mean, it's, it's quite the battlefield. It really is. I mean, I remember, I remember it starting really bad in about fourth grade where like, I just, I didn't want to even be around the girls my age. And I think at that point, I had always really loved being around children and taking care of smaller ones. I always had younger brother and younger cousins that I really just love to take care of. But I remember around fourth grade, I sort of um, kind of disconnected from my peer group and would spend more time with the younger kids and being kind of in that caretaker position because it just felt safer to be with them. Mm.
1: Yeah, I was really similar. I did a lot of caretaking. I was the oldest uh, in my family. I was the oldest cousin on one side and, uh, you know, definitely like always kind of in a leadership position. But I also found myself connecting a lot with adults when I was very young. I really loved, especially like elderly, um, you know, more of our elders. I really loved being with them. And I, you know, I haven't put two and two together about like, I didn't put it together like not wanting to be with people my age, but what I did note is that I I liked the conversations better. I liked what we were doing when I was hanging out with older people. We were talking about things that were more interesting.
0: Mm, right. So um, another part of her research was that um Because of this um, necessity to protect, for women to protect their bodies for lifelong childcare, they don't, women have this programming to not risk any physical damage because if they do that, then they could possibly not be able to um, have you know, give birth, have children. And so women have learned to disguise their competition in order to avoid retaliation. So that's why when we're looking at, you know, women judging each other and competing with each other, it's not that outward expression of competition that men typically show. Like it's very hidden, very behind the scenes, like very, um, you know, just like very subtle, but it's really happening. Yeah, it's called passive
1: aggressive.
0: That's what that's what it's called. It's
1: passive aggressive, where it is very aggressive behavior. I mean, the things I mean, it's like poison sometimes coming out of people's mouths. But you're right. It's like they tend to do it like behind people's backs behind closed doors. Even if you look like nowadays, it's like cyber bullying. It's things like it's saying things that are like, like, it's like a backhanded compliment right? It's these kinds of things where it's creating a shift in social standing. It's definitely like a a competitive in nature. Um, but you know, it's not like a fist fight in the hallway.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. And so one of the things that women tend to do is they really enforce like inequality within the female community. So in order like basically like there are certain standards that have become like these normal requirements of um, having proper femininity like what it actually means to show up as a woman and or a girl and like everyone else is excluded and it's all about like having you have to have a group in order you have to exclude people in order to have a group right and so it's like I mean, you can look at any type of movie about high school girls and just see how this shows up. Yeah,
1: sometimes really painfully. Um, it makes for good stories, though, I'll say for a lot of us to relate to, um, you know, the in-group, the out-group, the different cliques, like where do I fit in, um, Yeah. I mean, I definitely remember that. I actually went to a lot of different schools. I moved around a lot as a young person. So I was always the new girl and definitely got a lot of different views of different, in different schools. And it's like, it's, it's almost, it's, it's interesting is a psychological experiment because it is like the, it's like this, there's the same kinds of groups of people who are clumping together around these like different particular values. Um, and there is, and there's competition to be part of those groups. Um, and there's definitely like what, you know, a pecking order, so to speak, a hierarchy of, you know, culturally what is seen as like the, like the most popular, um, you know, or these people are this kind of way and these people are this kind of way.
0: Oh yeah. And then what happens there is that you've got, people who are afraid of not being accepted into that group, that hierarchy that will just go along with whatever, you know, the rules of that group are because they're so afraid of being excluded from it. And so that's when, why you see, you know, maybe some of the girls who are like, kind of maybe they have some compassion towards the girl that's on the outside, but they don't do anything about it because like to them, it feels like that could mean death if they are then excluded from that group because they were nice to this other girl. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's a risk in their own social stature. Um, girl,
0: I know. <laughs> I feel right? mad about it. Like it's, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, I know it's so it's really, really sad, but like this whole thing of like women really like having this um this nastiness inside, like I guess we can have some compassion for each other if we just look at it from this perspective of like, well, this is biologically programmed, this is co- literally coming from needing to survive and of course doing the work then to try and shift and change because we can continue to evolve and um, we don't live in the same type of world anymore where or at least a lot of us don't live in the same type of world anymore where we have to have these same survival skills that we did before but having awareness around it so that way we can bring it to the consciousness start to have these conversations so we can actually start to make some change is what's really necessary.
1: Yeah, and I think as we grow, I mean, at least what I've noticed is as I've worked on myself, I just don't have the intimidation like factor with the people that I'm, you know, no matter how badass they are, like what I get out of it is like if I feel any sort of jealousy or anything like that coming up, I realize like, hey, this person is someone I want to be around. This person has got something that I want. Like when I feel that kind of sensation, it's like, oh, this is inspiration. Like I like you. It's not, hey, you know, I'm going to talk bad about you and try to bring you down and bring myself up. Like that doesn't work. I know that doesn't work, you know, but being able to Create these bridges with people who are stretching, like our havingness, right? Are like like that's actually going to create much more than survival. It's going to create thrival where we are, we're actually in like you and me right now. It's like, we could be catty towards each other, you know, if we were playing on society scripts, but the way that we're able to be in collaboration and in connection and help support each other. I love that we're able to do that. And I think it's possible when we do our inner work and we're able to heal, you know, be able to heal.
0: Yeah. Because and what you're saying is exactly right, because it's like that, Um, That archetypical dark side that people have, and it can be like such extreme polarities, where like the quote nicer somebody shows up as like the darker the shadow that they have is and like it can be it can that darkness can show up as like this quest for power like being manipulative trying being controlling um just like really like having this viciousness towards other women um you know whereas if you're like comfortable with your darkness and have done shadow work And like looked at these demons that you have inside of you, how that can shift everything and you can just be more comfortable with everything as it is and not needing to... You know we have this portrayal of like oh i'm like just oh, i'm super nice i'm super maternal and like you know the perfect everything um whereas behind the scenes like there's just so much anger and ugliness hiding and i think that's like a big part of personal development work shadow work um inner child work all these things that we talk a lot about um how how when you do these, it really can transform the type of relationships that you have with other women. I know I'm part of a group of about a hundred and well, there's like 150 women or so 130, maybe that I did a uh, certain sex uh, coaching certification with. And then like all of those women were together in another group. That's like, a even larger group that probably has about 600 women in it. And we've all done this work of the shadow in like healing our sexuality and healing all these wounds that we have and looking at the ugliest parts of ourselves that we wish nobody knew about. And like this group of women, I mean, you got 600 women that are just so supportive of each other, encouraging each other, cheering each other on, like in exactly like you said, Erin, whenever some sort of jealousy or insecurity pops up, you see another woman really shining instead of like, Oh, you know, fuck her. Like I want to bring her down. It's like, damn, I'm fucking inspired by that. How can I grow and become that too? And like the women's helping each other come up as well of like, Hey, like this is what's working for me. Why don't you try this and see if it works for you too? So it's really amazing. Like how the dynamic can change.
1: Yeah. I live my life this way. And I, it is just, it's so amazing. The relationships that I have with women now where we are so supportive of each other. We are each other's just like celebrating um, each day, you know, like sharing our victories with us, like really getting like the power of bragging. Right. And it's like, there, there, it, there used to be in society, like a thing where we're, we're not supposed to brag and, you know, we don't want to make other people feel bad, but like, we can actually make this agreement in these kinds of groups that, that we are going to brag about the thing that we're kicking butt at. We are proud of ourselves for it. And everybody else is going to cheer us on. And when we do that, this act Actually lifts all of us up. It helps us all do better, shine brighter, and really feel supported. And that's the kind of sisterhood that is that is truly possible uh, when we're doing that. And you know, and that and at that point, you know, it's funny. I have several times since I've been through this process myself and really surrounding myself with powerful, awesome women, I've had several instances of women coming up to me um later and just saying hey you know i just want you to know like i really had a problem with you for a long time i did not like you And um you really triggered me a lot because you're so expressed, you're you're loud and you're vivacious and you take up space. And that really that really you know bothered me for a while. And I went and got help from someone and I realized that it's just it's a part of me that I really wanted to have more. And um, after they did their work, they came to me and they thanked me for that. And you know, honestly, I had no idea that I was, you know, I was just being myself and, and shining and like, you know, whatever. And it's just, it's happened on a number of occasions. And I think that it's something that is really possible that we can surround ourselves. We can kind of get this insulation of our own love of ourselves and surrounding ourselves with sisterhood, where we're lifting each other up that when even there are those kinds of examples of women who are being more passive aggressive, Um, that it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't sting us. Right. It's like they can shoot their arrows, but it's not going to get us because we've got this, this whole collection of, of support around us and this tremendous amount of inner, Uh, trust and knowing in ourselves that this is right, like our self-expression, like we have a right to be here, a right to exist, and that might trigger somebody, right? And it's probably going to happen. And that's a great thing because what's possible from that is for that person also to wake up and say, hey, you know what? I want to be expressed. I want to be bossy and bold and beautiful and I want to be the center of attention, you know? And so it's like, we can, we can do that for each other. Even the ones who have not um, actually gone through the process by us shining so bright and really being close with our sisters, right? Like holding them close, celebrating them, really demonstrating what that is like. It shows the same possibility and we're able to break these, this intergenerational, Uh, trauma response to survival to really creating safe space for all of us to be in a space of thriving and really maximizing our gifts
0: yes because ultimately that's what we all want to be here for like looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs we all are trying to get to that state of self-actualization and we don't have to bring others down in order to get there like we can there would be we can all self actualize like and it's really just mind baffling that we live in a world today where people aren't able to do that like it just shows the the inequity in the world where like we have so much wealth we have so many resources and yet People are still starving. People are still dying on the streets. They don't have access to basic health care, basic human needs, like just basic living conditions. you know, and so, like you can't self actualize if you don't have those basic needs met and I think that you know it shows up um this discrepancy really could be healed. It could be um, just mitigated if more people were looking at their own internal demons doing their shadow work. So that way we didn't have this sense of, okay, I have to rise. And that means others have to stay down. Like we can all rise together and it doesn't have to be this competition. Um, and I think so much of it really is um even unconscious that maybe a lot of people don't even realize that that they're doing it and they're like perpetuating this in the world, but it's just something to look at.
1: Yeah, so here's a couple For those of you who are listening, you're wondering, am I doing this? (laughs) So here's the thing. If you're talking about other people, right, not from your own experience, but you're like gossiping about other people, you're fucking doing that. You are participating in it. That's, this is, that is like the number one way to just notice, like, am I talking about other people? If you're talking about ideas or like, like a vision that you have, like, that is like, that's where we want to focus our conversations with people. But like, that's a really big indicator um, that I noticed in myself. i also noticing if I'm like complaining about other people, you know, complaining if, and like my own stance, like making myself a victim to other people like um, also, if I have any sort of like talk in my head about another person, like, who does she think she is? Or like, what is this? Anything like that, like that is just guaranteed that like there's old programming at play and it's a huge opportunity for me to check myself, really get centered. And usually what it tells me is that I I have a need that's not being met, right? There, that's like when the survival Mechanisms go into place. There's something that I need that's not being met. So what is that thing? Like, do I need appreciation, affirmation, like to feel good about myself? It's up to me to meet that need. It's up to me to tell myself, hey, I'm doing a good job. I really love you, Erin. Like you're doing a great job today, like really giving myself that need or asking, you know, asking to receive that from someone else because I'm actually not gonna get it if I'm complaining about another person person or if I'm putting another person down that is very temporary like it will take the edge off of the pain but it's not actually going to meet the need and in the long term it's going to it's not going to create flourishing relationships I mean that's definitely uh, yeah, a warning a warning sign for me if I'm any sort of gossip or complaining
0: yeah one of the things that I've learned to do is Like when I see that part of myself come up or any part of my shadow, like I just have learned to accept it, embrace it, bring it in. So because for me, if I try and shut it down and be like, oh, Sarah, you shouldn't be like that. And then I start judging myself. Right. And then that's just totally counteractive. Instead, I'm just like, all right, I see this part of me. I accept this part of me. Like, yeah, you know, I've got that aspect of myself. that's there. And like allow it to be integrated within me. It actually becomes less charged, less powerful. Um, like maybe it's still there, but it's not leading the way. It's not the driving force in my life.
1: Exactly.
0: Exactly. And that piece, like
1: when you can isolate like that part of yourself, that part of yourself will tell you what you need, right? Like my teenage part of myself, like it will tell me what I need. It will show up like when there's some sort of pressure, right? And I have a need that's not being met. That's when I get that way. It's because my survival instinct has been activated. And even if I ask that part of it, like, what do you need right now? Like, oh, I need more playtime. I need more pleasure. I need more friends. Like it's, that part is is so valuable. I love what you said about integrating it and like really accepting it and bringing it in because it's not about denying these things, right? It's about it's about seeing them fully understanding what they have to offer, understanding that it's part of ourselves. And then moving forward, with that piece but exactly like you said it's not leading the way like i'm leading the way that part of me is coming with me and is honored as a part of me just as the rest Mm
0: -hmm. yeah you know and just kind of back to like the, the story of society, it's the story that, you know, women, like at one point when it was a matriarchy, like all women were kind and caring and maternal, like valiant and just like always under siege of the men that were their oppressors. I mean, you can see this even in movies like, um, like Wonder Woman it shows this right like you've got all this society of just women and like they're all they're warriors but they're all in it together and then they're like attacked by the oppressors the men um that come into their society right but like (laughs) clearly that's just this um idealistic thing because anybody any woman any girl who has grown up in a female body knows that women are human beings, right? Like we are as much apes as we are, um, spiritual beings. Like we're all the humans, men are humans, women are humans. We're all capable of being very cruel or very compassionate, of being envious or being generous, of being competitive or being cooperative. And like, but this can be really difficult for women to acknowledge that women, including herself, can be really aggressive, that they can be really cruel, um, because these aren't socially acceptable traits for women to have. Um, and because like women really rely on, um, other women to be their best friends and we're expected to have certain emotional capacities that we have um and we expect these the women around us to also have these so this is why like it can be feel very threatening for women who are more reliant on like egalitarianism with other women, like the sameness around their um, the other females in their lives rather than males tend to form like hierarchies with a leader and chain of command type experience in their, their communities. Um, so, but like we women, we have this hardwired in us Um, this, the female aggression, the female competition, it shows up different than it does for men, but it's definitely hardwired in us. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's up to us
1: to rewire, you know, and it's up to us to, to, to take the opportunity to do that. I mean, I feel like that's one of the cool things about doing a show like this is just to bring the light to these areas and just be like, Hey, like, yeah, like I used to be really catty and competitive. I did. Like, you know, I was a middle school student too. You know, you know, I, I, you know, I was, I was acting out. I had shadow stuff just as much as anybody else did. And it's totally possible to rewire. And you know what, our ancestors, they want that. Like, I'm a believer that like my ancestors are with me all the time, that they want to see me succeed. And that, you know, it's up to me. to to break these these patterns and to really contribute for a new world going forward. And it is possible to pass on really great things in our DNA as well. And I'm not just talking about like the DNA that we're passing on to like our biological children. I am also talking about the way that we're a contribution to society in general. Like that's what's so amazing about like, for example, doing this podcast, it's like, how many thousands of people are gonna hear this and think about this in their own lives like what kind of impact is that going to have and that's just one you know one hour of one day uh contributing to a new cultural norm and i think we're in a place right now where we are recognizing that as a culture um and that there's that there's this drive for new there's this drive for a shift a culture shift and i think that it's possible possible to happen more quickly now than ever, especially as we do it in a way where we integrate the old. It's not just throwing everything out. It's saying, hey, what works and what doesn't work? When it's not working, what does that mean that we actually need? And having sensible choices in,
0: in moving forward, both in our own behavior, but also in our systems and structures. Mm, definitely. Yeah, and looking at how women have um internalized sexist beliefs also, like this isn't just something that that men do. Um, you know, like women can really idealize women or they can demonize them, right? Like they're just, like the 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 good woman or the bad woman, the evil stepmother, the fairy godmother, things like that. Um, And women actually often have higher and different expectations for other women than they do for men. Um, So often, like we tend to not forgive women uh, in the same way that we have compassion for male failure or imperfection. And just looking at female politicians, for example, like I feel like they are held to a completely different standard than male politicians are. Um, and that's like a really like blaring obvious thing in society that we can all look at and see but it happens all the time like you think about a girl's relationship with her mother versus a girl's relationship with her father like a lot of times women will be much more forgiving of her father even if he's done worse things than possibly what her mother did and so like it can even be turned, whereas like the mother is then blamed for what the father did even. So of course, this is going to show up different. Every family dynamic is different, but generally speaking, like we really do have these, um, like real women have high expectations for other women.
1: Yeah. I'm. I'd be so curious to look at more research around this. Um, cause also the thing that comes to mind for me is, is like keeping score, right. Or like holding a grudge. Mm. It's like, I know that that's, that's a, that's a thing that, I mean, anecdotally speaking, or like what I've heard in culture is like, you know, women are more likely to hold a grudge, um, and you know, keep score longer, and there's probably, I mean, if that is true, there's, it seems like there's probably evolutionary reasons that that would be true, right? We want to make the best choices if we're going to ensure our survival and the survival of our offspring, you know, by knowing who to work with and who not to, Um, so I'm curious, yeah, I'm curious about that also.
0: Yeah, definitely, you know, and I think, moving forward like things that we can do is just acknowledging the shadow part of us um and really taking a good look at our lives like an honest look of where this is showing up and where we need to do our internal work so that way it's not coming out on others like that's a really big deal and developing in each of us just this amazing strong sense of self like this sense of like I am amazing I am perfect I am beautiful like no matter what and like how it doesn't matter like other women also being amazing and strong and beautiful doesn't take away from you. Like it's not one person gets it and nobody else does. Like you can have 10 women in the room and they can all have this, you know, and like really just honoring ourselves our own ambition honoring other women's ambition really supporting strong women i love like there are some some great books for girls that have come out over the last few years that are all about empowered women and celebrating empowered women and like the diversity of of us and how how this diversity shows up in in such beautiful ways and celebrating it and like really starting to teach girls from a young age to celebrate other women to celebrate our uniqueness that we all have rather than to be threatened by it in um, like, looking, do you become offended quickly? Do you become emotional quickly? Um, because those those are signs of triggers that are covering some trauma that might be there for you to heal. Um, like, are you really oversensitive to criticism because you've been just excessively criticized by both men and women from a young age. Uh, Maybe you were treated like you were invisible. So like we, we have just so much healing to do around all of this. Yeah. I love what you said about
1: noticing those triggers. I think this is just so key and it is such a beautiful gateway. Oh my goodness. Sarah Rose, you know, we, we had these things come into place these programs these things that we learn these things mostly through the ages of 0 and 6 years old mm-hmm. that's when we're getting imprinted on our brain and so if it seems unreasonable like if you just really want to be a better human and it's like you're giving yourself a hard time like just take a breath like this is this got trained on you from culture and your caregivers and your situation from when you were such a young young sponge just soaking everything up and so it's worth being just so compassionate with ourselves you know taking a deep breath and then finding out you know what it is that, that there is for us to learn uh, in this opportunity because i promise you that those places where there's triggers where there's fear and jealousy all those feelings that we don't really want to feel on the other side of that there are tremendous gifts Gifts of deep friendship, gifts of like our own superpowers being revealed to us. Just amazing things are on the other side of that. If we will just sit with the shadow and do the work.
0: Yeah. You know, and something that I think we can, as women, can even learn from men is just like some rules of engagement, like how to fight fairly, and then win or lose, um, how to move on, how to be friends with our opponents, like how to not hold a grudge, like being in um, the world of jujitsu, I was really privy to how men, how they do that, like you see some of these uh, the top competitors and like I love going to the competitions and being um, like behind the scenes with the guys like when they're back there getting ready and everything and you know you've got guys that are about to go out and have their match have their fight and but, but behind the door they're like training with each other right they're like warming up with each other and then afterwards they like give each other a hug and they go out for a drink afterwards (laughs) and it's like it's just I mean of course this is you know for sport but still I think men have that um, that mentality in a different way than men than women typically do.
1: Yeah. I think it's like a compartmentalizing, like this is for in the ring. Like that's what this is for. And then outside of that, it's like, it's a different kind of game. And I think that's worth, definitely worth implementing in one's own life. Yeah. It's like, if we're, if we are going to compete with somebody, I mean, that's totally legit. Like I don't have anything against competition. It's just the thing that I really love doing is competing with myself, like my previous versions of myself and continuing to like one up that um that's where i feel like i'm gonna gain the most growth and yeah anytime i do enter into a small game like where i am competing with someone else it's it's like well i'm showing up and i'm doing the best that i can every single time and it's just a little snapshot a little moment that and then it helps me learn right because we put all this focused attention on this one little thing and like we get to like look at that and like see what is our performance like what are the other people's performance like so it's uh
0: super fabulous. Yeah, it really, really is. Well, this was such an amazing conversation, and of course, one that has so much depth to it. We could I feel like we could do a whole other hour on this, but I would really love to play some cards. How about you? Ooh,
1: yeah, I would love to play. Awesome. Okay, let me pull a card. Um, ooh. Excellent. All right, this one goes
0: perfectly with today. Oh wow, femininity, femininity is. is. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's like the tarot, right? It's like, <laughs> uh huh. It really is. It's just perfect. Oh. Uh, speaking of the tarot, real quick, I was like, the other night. Really, really feeling like I just wanted to go out and fuck. And then, but I was like feeling really conflicted too, of like, it's like there's a certain type of sex that I'm desiring right now. And I was just like, you know, it's not going to, I'm not going to have that kind of sex if I just go fuck right now. And so, but I was like, but my body's just horny. I just want sex. And I was going back and forth. And so I went to the tarot. I was texting actually my, my BFF, Case Erickson, who I've done a show with on here before. And I was messaging him and I was like, all right, I got to go. I got to go consult the tarot before I make any decisions. And <laughs> of course the card I Pulled was patience.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep. Was like, it's like fuck. Hard. Okay. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh, but back to these. Femininity is. Ah, uh, mm-hmm. femininity is so beautiful and fun and expressive and creative and juicy and joyous and light and bright and silly. And yeah, like that's how I see femininity. And then balanced, right? Like balanced with the the power and the passion and the like, just drive and um yeah I think like to have to have like a femininity that feels really healthy it's got to have the balance of both because if it's just the the light and the the bright and the fun then at least my experience is like I miss out on the other aspects of me that I really also love that feel so grounded and just, um, strong and powerful. How about you? Mm, I love
1: that. Um, yeah, for me, like femininity, like when I tap into like the queen archetype, um, she does, she has that really beautiful balance. Like she is so feminine. like the healer the wise one the the mother it is it's it has the feeling of like of like holding and hugging and like spiral kind of like dancing energy like very sensual and I feel also this femininity this like fullness right that goes all the way down to the ground that is you know if the if we're looking at like the queen and the king together it's like this is This is my kingdom and and the feminine is in touch with the emotion, uh, with the love, with the land, uh, really like feeling all of that and is in connection with this this king energy and can communicate that to be in in service, this beautiful, devoted service uh, to her people and to her community.
0: Mm, And you are such a beautiful expression of the queen archetype.
1: Wow. Thank you, Sarah Rose. I feel the same with you, you sexy queen. It's such a joy to be with you
0: again. Mm, Well, I feel like doing these calls with you, these podcasts, like is such a great it's always I feel like being with you always challenges me for more personal growth. So mm-hmm. I as much as like we do this for our listeners, like it's mm-hmm. really so selfish of me because I get to spend this time with you every week.
1: <laughs> oh, I love that. You know, I feel the same. I feel the same because I just love I I love being with you like the way that you you bring out my flirtiness, my fiery like playfulness and also like my willingness to be bold and like be on a podcast and do this and tell people like, yeah, I co-host a tantric sex and personal growth podcast. Like, oh, it's just like you, you help me be a better person. And I love that I can be that for you and that you can be that for me. And I think that's really what sisterhood and what really like allyship is all about.
0: Mm, yes and that is sex and sarah rose hey it's sarah again thanks for listening make sure you check out the links in the show notes for everything we discussed in this episode and you can also find out about how you can work with me until next time lovers Down tonight.